Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. want to throw some thoughts out to you this morning. Uh, some things I have, the Lord's been speaking to me. I, I feel like I've been living in one long prayer meeting as of late. Uh, we did go up to Decorah and had a 12-hour prayer meeting up there, and it was wonderful. People came from all over the state, and we were just praying for our state that God would help us to get on track. And uh, this, I just want to share a couple principles that I feel like the Lord's been speaking to me. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I ask that you'd speak to us Lord, make your word clear, instruct us, strengthen us, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Ephesians, uh, let me see, let's read, uh, let's look at verse 7. I'm I'm looking for it somewhere in here. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. So Paul's talking about the, the, the makeup of his calling, the substance of his calling, the grace of God came on him. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Now, as a side note, it's interesting. If you track Paul's comments about himself, in his first, his first letter, he, he's, he's talking about those so-called apostles, the other ones, you know, those so-called apostles. Later on, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. Here he says, I'm the least of all the saints. And in his last book, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. It's interesting to see the progression in Paul's life. Uh, So we go on here, he says, verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Why? To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things so that so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places now that is a mouthful paul is talking about his calling so let me read that again he says to me though i'm very least of all the saints the grace was given To preach to the Gentiles, what is he going to preach? The unsearchable riches of Christ. That word unsearchable literally means there's no tracks. You cannot study yourself into it. You can't read the Bible and discover what Paul said without revelation from the Holy Spirit. Later on, he says that those things are hidden within God himself. The vault of God's heart is where these mysteries, these the unsearchable riches of Christ are found in the heart of God. So the greatest minds in the world can study the Bible and miss what's being said. Without revelation, without enlightenment from God, you can't find it. I'm a firm believer in revelation. Now there's some that would say, well, when you believe in revelation, what you mean is that you believe that you can receive things equal to the word of God. No, that's not true. I believe it's all in the word. But revelation is when there's insight given from God in a moment And then you have to backfill it with the word. There's study. You study yourself to conclusions. And then there's revelation. You start with one. God shows you something. And you've got to anchor it in the word. I don't preach things that I can't find in the word. I preach things that God has spoken to me. There are things that the Lord has told me in prayer. And I said, Lord, I got no verse for that. I don't know where that's in the Bible. And I've had to go on a journey and and dig that out. But it's in the Bible. But there is such a thing as revelation that God wants to show his children 
things that are unknowable outside the Holy Spirit. So he goes on and he gets to the purpose. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, it means the varied, it means the many colored, the many faceted wisdom. The wisdom of God has tremendous application, a tremendous amount of application. The, the wisdom of God applies to the tech industry as well as to the medical industry, as well as to a myriad of other things. And you can ask God for revelation in the area of your vocation. Some of you will remember when Bob Hazlett was with us one time. Bob's one of our external overseers and a well-known prophet. And uh, he was talking one time about this young guy. He was a missionary kid. They were on the mission field. His mom and dad had to come back home because there wasn't enough support. They couldn't, sustain, they couldn't sustain themselves on the mission field, so they came back. And he was a bright young man, and he decided, I'm going to be rich so I can fund missions. And so he began to study hard, and he discovered that there was this stuff called aluminum. And it was so valuable that it, there was a plate in the crowned jewels of England a plate of aluminum. Matter of fact, with Napoleon, his guests would eat on gold plates, but the guest of honor would eat on a plate of aluminum because it was so valuable. Isn't that funny? It was so valuable because they didn't know how to extract it out of the ground and separate it so they could make pure aluminum. And so this young man began to pray about it, and he would do all kinds of experiments and do, and he would, he would just keep trying, and he couldn't get it done, and so then he would just put some, he'd worship the Lord for a while, and then go back, and he found if he would put some electrodes on something, and he could, you know, charge it, that he could extract it, and he became the founder of the, what was it, uh, the aluminum, the big aluminum company, Alcoa, yeah, he became the founder of Alcoa, funded a lot of missions, and became very rich, by the way. But it was by, by divine revelation, he kept asking God, how do you do this? I remember Bob telling me about another man that he was, uh, when he was a little boy, his father was very prophetic, but went to a cessationist church, a church that didn't believe the gifts of the spirits are for today. The gifts of the spirit are for today. You got to bear with me today. I'm having a little bit of a hard time. So he was, uh, as, as, and he, uh, they were going down the road one time and uh, his father, he said to his dad, he said, hey dad, why are those demons on those power lines? And he said, do you really see demons on the power lines? He said, yeah, I see demons on those power lines. He said, well, ask the Lord. He's the one that showed you. Wise dad. So he drove a little longer and he said, did the Lord say anything to you? And he said, yeah, he told me that they're there to disrupt communication. He said, ask him why he showed you. Really wise dad. Drove for a little while longer and he said, son, did the Lord tell you anything? He said, yeah, he told me when I grow up, I'm going to solve the problem. He's a very prophetic man. He became worth about $350 million developing uh, communications and, and developed some codes that even the NSA can't break. And it, it just, there's more to the story, but that's enough said. I'm telling you, God, God can give you wisdom in the area of your vocation. The wisdom of God is the manifold wisdom. It's the many faceted wisdom. There's many applications, many uh, many. Uh, facets to it. So, okay. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to who? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. God desires to reveal his wisdom in every facet of life to the principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. These root, these fallen ruling spirits. 
that are at war with heaven, he wants to rub their face in amazing grace by making them watch the church walk in wisdom. God will take them by the nap of the neck, this is how I picture it, and watch this. And he makes them watch the saints live in the wisdom of God. The battle of the ages really is a battle of wisdom. It's a battle of revelation. It's not a battle of power. The enemy is not so foolish to think he can outpower God, but he's arrogant enough to think he can outsmart him. And so the battle is a battle of wisdom, and that is why the people of God need to be people who pursue wisdom. That we ask God for the keys of life, that we, we understand how to have healthy families, how to have healthy relationships, how to have healthy finances, uh, you know, breakthrough in every aspect of life. And often the way that God releases breakthrough is through revelation. We look at it as we sit down here and we pray, God, would you do something? And God said, yeah, I want to give you wisdom so that you can do something and walk into your own breakthrough. But we have to learn to apply, live, mine out and apply and live the wisdom of God so that life works. And Ephesians tells us that one of the reasons for this is so that the principalities and powers have to see the wisdom of God operating through the church. You see, God doesn't deal with the enemy directly. He does it through us. I don't know why I think of Rush Limbaugh saying, I'll argue with half my brain tied behind my back. You know, he's, he's acting like that's not fair. Well, God doesn't, he doesn't engage the enemy. He engages them through us, through weak and feeble mankind. And he's going to win this thing over these principalities and powers. And so it's incumbent upon us to mine out wisdom, to cry out for wisdom, to apply wisdom to our life. And God has the answer for every aspect of your life. Anything you are facing, God has the answer. But often the answer he wants to give you is so valuable, he can't just give it to you when you ask. You literally have to go on a journey of crying out and pounding on heaven's door and asking for that. You have to enter into the process of prayer so that God can, through the process, qualify you for the answer. Often, the very thing that we are crying out for, we're not qualified to carry. Jesus said it to his disciples. He said, there's so much more I would have told you guys while I was down here on earth. I'm giving a little paraphrase. Just before he was crucified, he said, there's so much more I wanted to share with you, but I couldn't because you couldn't bear it. The word, the idea there is you couldn't stand up under the weight of that reality. Understanding these truths will break you into a reality that you can't handle. You can't bear it. So what do we need? We need to be instructed. We need an internal structure that can bear the weight of that external reality. There are people in this room that see different things when they look at different articles and different, you, you see different things in this room. There are people in this room, when you look at certain scenarios, you say, that's a problem. Others of you look at it and say, that's an opportunity. Because you have a whole different way of looking at things. There's an internal structure that causes you to look at certain situations differently. And so we need revelation. We need God to instruct us. We need to be renewed in the power of our mind. I'm telling you, there is power for business in the Bible. To be a blessing to the world, to provide many jobs and vocations for people and provide for your family. And it, it's through wisdom. God wants to give it to us. So Jesus said, he said, there's so much more I wanted to give you, but I couldn't. You couldn't bear it. So I'm going to send my spirit unto you 
and he will teach you. So the, the, one of the uh, uh, functions of the Spirit of God is to instruct us. He's teaching us. He's the, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. And so we need to ask for that. And often God will take us on a journey. And often the very thing that you need from the Lord is not just going to come readily. You've got to mine it out. You've got to cry out for it. You've got to ask questions. You've got to go back to the Word. And there's, there's often weeks and months of searching for those things. And I'm going to tell you those are the things that will be valuable to you. It's not the, some, the, the things that someone just gave to me. I ask a question, they give me an answer. I mean, I, I, I appreciate that, but the ones that I worked for, you know the old saying, easy money spends easy? <laughs> hard money spends hard. You're more careful with what you've earned. And there's something about mining out that revelation and getting it directly from God that makes it valuable to you. And God wants to build our lives on those things. He wants us to build our life on those things. And so wisdom is really... The, the nature of the battle. This is a battle of wisdom. The battle of the ages. The battle, uh, the battle for the souls of men. The battle for uh, just life and, and uh, health and functional relationships. And all of this is a battle of wisdom. And so we need to be a people that get, and what Solomon said, in all thy getting, get wisdom. We need to be hungry for wisdom. We need to be teachable. Bill Johnson has that wonderful phrase, often what you know can keep you from what you need to know. And that is true. Often what you already know, because we assume what we know is the whole truth when it's only part of the truth. And so it demands humility that we remain teachable and, and God can continue to teach us. But we need to be hungry for wisdom. Now I say all that to say this. God has a strategy connected to wisdom. And I believe we're seeing it afoot right now and in our, in our nation. And we need to understand this strategy when it comes to wisdom. Because if we don't understand it, we can easily get offended with God. There's a way in which God uses wisdom that on the front end feels like abandonment. You feel like, God, what did you do? Did you just leave me? You left me hanging here. <laughs> But it's called the hidden wisdom of God. We see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul put it this way. Had the rulers of this dark age understood, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What he's saying is God, when God sent his son, Jesus, to the cross, and when Jesus willingly, willingly went, that was, that was a strategy called the hidden wisdom of God. And the enemy thought he had this thing in the bag. The enemy was so excited, he thought, finally, I can get my hands on God himself. You see, the enemy used to be the worship leader of heaven. He used to be the one leading the courses to worship the Most High. And one day he thought, rather than, how about, <laughs> he wanted to absorb that worship himself. He wanted to be the Most High. He said, I will ascend to the Most High, it says in Ezekiel. So God booted him out of heaven. And now it's a battle because God is going to show the enemy that he's going to reveal to the enemy the wisdom of God through your and my life. But often the way in which he does that, the way he releases the wisdom of God is in the strategy called the hidden wisdom of God. What am I saying? Often what the Lord will do is he will release a situation I'll put it this way. God will 
use you and invite you into an opportunity that will actually incite an attack from the enemy. And when you answer the call and step into the opportunity, it'll feel like, wow, with friends like this, God, who needs enemies, you know? Look at what you put me into. But what God was doing is pulling you into an opportunity that he wants to expand your life. He wants to expand whatever he's dealing with at that time. He wants to give you more. But he puts you in a situation that invites the attack of the enemy. And he will allow it to look like you're going to lose. And as you step into that, you need to understand that because the hidden wisdom of God is not just hidden to the enemy, it's often hidden to us. And so you got to be rooted in the goodness of God that I know God is good. So I'm going to stand and I'm not going to accuse God and I'm not going to accuse myself over these situations. I'm going to stand my ground and believe in the goodness of God and see the victory of God. And we see this again and again throughout Scripture. And of course, the primary expression is, of course, the cross. The enemy thought he had Jesus, he killed Jesus, and in so doing, stripped himself of his power. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's a phenomenal book. And it's tragic that the movie did it such injustice, by the way. It really is. That's just my little pet peeve. It just, it just didn't do the, movie, the, uh, the book justice. But in that, in that book, he, it's an allegory of the cross and of redemption. And he talks about how this wicked witch of the north, she's frozen everything. And, and uh, she takes captive this little, little boy from, from earth because he gave in to the enticement of this some kind of British cake, you know. And uh, so now he's a prisoner. And Aslan, the, the, giant, the, the, uh, the lion who is the king has to go and try to get this boy back. And he brokers a deal because the little boy is now a prisoner. And he brokers a deal with the, the wicked witch. And everybody's, they're, they're thinking, okay, Aslan got, her back, got him back. But what they don't realize is Aslan had to trade, trade his life for the life of this little boy. So in this vivid scene, all these ghouls and these demonic creatures shave him and just humiliate him and then kill him. And he dies on the stone altar. And now she is the undeniable, irrefutable leader. Except that around dawn, the altar cracks and the lion rises again. And that's the scene they just destroyed. You can't, you can't even do that right. I mean, it's an amazing scene. But here's the thing. The lion said to the kids after they discovered he's alive again, has his mane, he's, he's bad and he's going to go defeat the witch. He said, what the witch didn't understand is there is a deeper magic that when you, when you crucify the innocent, that death literally works against itself. And that is such a vivid picture of the cross and redemption. God drew the enemy in and he, he thought he had the Lord, but in, in executing Jesus, he stripped himself of his, of his power. I'm telling you that that is not isolated just to Calvary. That is a strategy God will use in your life and in my life. And the Lord will lead you into situations that in, invite an attack from the enemy. It's like when Jonathan said to his armor bearer, hey, let's go pick a fight with the Philistines. Often you're the armor bearer and the Lord wants to pick a fight and you get in the battle and it wasn't your choosing. You ever felt like that? It's because the Lord wants to give you victory in your ground, uh, in that area of battle. But you've got to be convinced God is good. 
And in that, if, as you listen to the Lord and walk through that thing, God's going to turn that for your good. Another great example of this principle is in the book of Esther. You have Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai is this older man that is, it was taken as captive and brought to, brought to the Persian Empire as a captive from Israel. And now he's living as, in captivity and he's raising his young cousin. She's much younger than him. Her parents died and he's raising her. And so his investment in her life prepares her for this future opportunity. But her, accepting, her stepping into that opportunity opened up doors of opportunity for him. So there's this beautiful relationship, generational relationship between Mordecai and Esther. And so she is now, if you know the story, the king, uh, there, there, this is a, a national setting and the king has this big party. It's for days on end. They're all getting drunk. Drunk, and then he tells his wife, the queen, come out and parade around for us, baby. We want to see how beautiful you are. <laughs> and she says, no, she's offended. She's not going to come out there. And uh, so she turns him down. And uh, he's incensed and drunk. And so are his, his advisors. And they said to him, hey, let's choose a new wife because then all the other wives are going to be rebellious to their husbands. And so Vashti gets set aside, but what, what is unknown to everybody involved is that God is actually positioning a young woman to save the Israelite people in his eternal purposes of redemption, of which you and I are recipients. And so there's a search made throughout all the empire, and they find this uh, many beautiful young women, among which is Hadassah, which her other name she's known by is Esther, and she's chosen. And it says that she obeys her her uncle, she calls him her uncle, but it's really her cousin, and she obeys the, the, uh, the, the, guy, the eunuch that's over that, and she just does what they say, and she is crowned the queen. And because she's now on the throne, Mordecai has access to the palace, so he sits on the steps every day. And one day, he hears a plot against the king. He overhears it, gives it to Esther, she speaks it to the king. He finds out it's true and he kills these two dudes and they put it in the, the records of the king. Months later, he can't sleep. He's stirred in his sleep and he opens up those scrolls and he finds the record of that man, which he doesn't know is related to his now queen. The other, the other scenario that's going on is when these two dudes are killed for having a, a plot against the king, the king appoints a guy named Haman to be his right-hand man, and he's got a beef with the Israelite people. And it really increases because now Mordecai is sitting out on the stairs, and he walks by, and everybody bows to him but Mordecai, because Mordecai is a man that says, I bow to no man but God. With every opportunity will come a temptation. And in that opportunity, you'll have to decide, will I enjoy the fruits of this opportunity, or will I jeopardize it by standing for my integrity. And Mordecai made the right choice and it, it honked old Haman off. And so Haman gets it in his craw. He said he's going to kill all the Israelites and that's what he sets up. But what, what has happened is God already has a person on the throne. There's the hidden wisdom of God. And so when Haman tries to pull the trigger, so to speak, he ends up being hung on the gallows that he built for Mordecai. And the Israelites are allowed to go to war against their enemies. Those that, that they were vulnerable to, they then take the, the victory. And this, this whole scenario 
ends up turning for Israel's triumph. And it's the hidden wisdom of God. God was working behind the scenes in a way that nobody else knew. And that happens in all of our lives. And we've got to be aware because the hidden wisdom of God that is hidden to the enemy is also hidden to us. And we can feel abandoned in those moments and think, God, what are you doing? Man, you, you made my, my daughter cousin the queen and now we're all going to be killed because the king wrote out an edict to kill everyone and that, at, by Haman's prompting. So we can question what God is doing. We need to realize that God is good and he's always working behind the scenes. Now, I don't have time. It's 1201. I don't have time to elaborate on this other than to say this. I believe we're seeing that on a national scale right now. I believe that the hidden wisdom of God is about to bring uh, a sweeping reformation in this nation. And it's, it's not, I believe the elections are important to secure it. But I'm believe, I believe that God is going to really uproot corruption in this nation. We are going to be stunned in the days to come by what we see. It is going to be unprecedented, the sweeping reform that will happen. And we're going to see spiritual revival. And right now, we're standing in the hidden wisdom of God. But the very things that the enemy, the real enemy, we wrestle not with flesh and blood. We don't wrestle with... Uh, political parties. We wrestle, with we wrestle with principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. But the strategy that they had to destroy this nation will be turned on them. And I, I believe that God has heard our prayers. We're on, the, we're on the precipice of one of the most substantial, probably the most important election we've ever had as a nation. But I feel so optimistically confident that I'm kind of bummed I said three days of fasting rather than two. I would have ate tonight, but I'm going to keep my word. <laughs> but I really do believe the Lord is, is going to honor this. Now tonight, we're going to meet back here at 7 p.m. And we're going to pray. And we're going to pray for this state and the, the, the Senate and the House. And we're going to pray that God's will be done, that King Jesus would rule over all the earth. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I ask that you'd please make sense of it for everybody that was listening. And Lord, I ask that you'd strengthen our resolve, that we wouldn't settle for the false finish lines of election results, but we would press this thing to the end. Lord, that, that the United States of America would truly be blessed by God to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.